good to see everybody here today. I'm Ed Glaze, one of the pastors here at Boone United Methodist Church, and this is the day I'm on roller skates. We have to do this every now and then uh, as one of the pastors preaches all three services. And so either you're going to be very blessed because I finally got the sermon down or I'm going to forget everything. But either way, uh, I get to uh, wind up with this great group here in Crossroads. It's great to have y'all out today. Could have been a lot of other places. Scottish games going on. It's rainy out. You could have said, you know, I'm going to hit the snooze and sleep in a little bit. But no, you're here. So thank you for coming. And those of you that are tuning in online, thank you for for doing so. As we uh, continue this series on David, and I'm going to read you a a passage of scripture uh, from the book of 1 Samuel, the 25th chapter, uh, starting with verse 32. And then we're going to Uh, tell the story about David and this special person named Abigail. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand that which she had brought to him. He said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have heeded your voice and I have granted your petition. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was talking to somebody just the other day, and they said they're really enjoying this series on David, but they said, when are we going to get to some bad stuff about David? I mean, everything he preached has been so positive, and, you know, he has been, you know, doing all this good things and refraining from hurting Saul and doing stuff like that, killing Goliath. You know, but David had some bad stuff, didn't he? He said, well, just hang on. We're going to get to that. The theme of the series is David, a man after God's own heart. And what's heartening for us who are indeed sinners and indeed not perfect people, that as we're going to hear about today and you're going to hear about over the next few weeks, well, we're going to see that David wasn't a perfect person, but still was a person after God's own heart. Today we're going to talk about a little-known character in the Bible, a, a woman named Abigail. I've got to ask, has anyone ever heard a sermon about Abigail? Anybody? Some, uh, we, we got one up here. That was the way it was at, at 11 o'clock in the traditional side. There's only one person. Early service, no one had heard of Abigail. No one. So I said, I can tell her what I want to about her. You won't know the difference, will you? Yeah, yeah this is a, a, a story that we don't talk about too often. But as we're unpacking the life of this man after God's own heart, David, This is a very important person in his life. And this story uh, about Abigail and David is kind of like a fairy tale quality to it. It's one of those uh, stories like, you know, the hero conquers a villain and rides off into the sunset with the the beautiful maiden. It's like the the guy who is a scrub on the baseball team hitting the home run and and winning, winning the game. It's like, well, the story that we see so often in fairy tales, this woman who has been neglected, overlooked, seen as the ugly duckling, well, she's the one that is lifted up. We think about Sleeping Beauty. Think about Snow White. Think about Beauty and the Beast. Many of you all know that, that story. 
you know, where Belle has to go live with a literal beast and through her kindness and her graciousness changes his heart and thus changes him. And, well, his true self is revealed. He's that, that handsome prince. And they get married and live happily ever after. Well, there's some of that quality to this story of Abigail and David. There's the brokenness, the hurt, the misunderstanding, and yet at the end there seems to be a happy ending. Who is this Abigail? The Bible says she's beautiful. I mean, that's the first thing it says. She is beautiful. But it also says that she lives with this fella named Nabal. And the first thing it describes about Nabal is how rich he is. He's very wealthy, owns all sorts of cattle, all sorts of sheep. He, and when someone in the scripture is described first and foremost by the wealth, you better watch out because what that is doing is identifying this person by his wealth and saying that his property, his wealth, his money is the most important thing in his life. And as Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12, this parable of the rich fool where this rich guy has cashed in. He's got everything. He's going to take that trip to Tahiti. He's going to buy that big mansion on the hill. And Jesus said, fool, don't you know your soul is going to be required of you this very night? And when someone is described in Scripture, very first thing about them that they're wealthy, they're describing the fleetingness of, of riches, and that person is a fool. In fact, the interesting thing about Nabal's name, it literally means fool. Now, we don't know what his mom was thinking. He's born, the baby comes out and says, you know, this baby looks like a fool. <laughs> and so it marked him from the very beginning with the name fool. But he acts foolishly, and we're going to talk about that as we unpack this story. It's set during the time that I know you discussed last week, where David is in the wilderness of Engedi. It's a bleak place, a barren place. And while David is there, though, and you might recall last week that he spared the life of King Saul, who, he, he literally, who David literally caught with his pants down. He didn't, he didn't kill him. You might remember that. While David is there, uh, well, he's a popular man. And he gathers around him a band of around 600 men. And to provide for all these men, they provide protection for farmers, wealthy men like Nabal. They, they go around and, and uh, take care of any robbers or bandits that are trying to steal the sheep or the cattle or, or kill uh, the shepherds. It's a dangerous area. It's the same setting as Jesus talks about in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we know that in that area, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho or up from Jerusalem to Jericho, falls among robbers and is beaten. Same area. It's been dangerous for generations. And so his men are providing protection for the people in that area. Now, some have said, well, you know, he, David's kind of like that mafia guy. He said, I'm going to protect him. We're making an offer. He can't refuse. And unless you pay me, well, you know, something's going to happen to you and your sheep. No, that, that's not what we're talking about. David is literally doing a service for those folks to keep their shepherds and their sheep alive. Well, earlier in the chapter, it is sheep shearing time at Nabal's farm. Remember, he's got a lot of sheep. It's a lot of work. And it is hard work. Now, I got one person to answer this question right earlier, so listen up. Was there electricity during David's time? Does anyone, does anyone know if there's electricity in David? Anybody? Was there? What? 
No, no, of course, we got one person that got the answer right. Just like last service, no, there was no electricity there. They didn't have these sheep shears, like, kind of like the barber did in my hair yesterday. No, we, we don't have that in that time. It was a lot of work. They had to hand shear hundreds of sheep. It took days, lots of effort. But because there was lots of effort, when they were done, and because they're getting lots of wealth off that wool, it was a huge party going on. And they were celebrating. They, they killed uh, some livestock. They had all the fruits and vegetables. They were having a grand old time. And David knew exactly what was happening, and he sent some servants to go and say, Hey, Nabal, can you give my men some of this food that you're enjoying, this bounty that you have? Because we've helped protect you. What's Nabal say? Nah. Who am I to listen to this David? And the word gets back to David. And David said, boys, strap on your swords. We're going to go take care of Nabal and all his people. And his, Nabal's people are greatly upset. The shepherds are saying, this David protected us. What's going on? And interferes what has happened and knows what the consequences are going to be. And this servant, don't know if it's a male or female, but I'll just say it's a male. He goes and finds Abigail. And he knows that Abigail can do something about their, her foolish husband, his foolish master. And Abigail does. She rounds up some of the bounty of the party, loads up the mules, and, and they head to find David and his people. And she bows down before David and, and offers all this to David. And I love how Eugene Peterson in his book about David's life translates this dialogue. He says this, Abigail says to David, remember who you are. You're God's anointed. Your battles aren't petty disagreements. You are formed and framed by the tender mercy of your God, not by the slights of the fool of husband that I got Nabal. It's like the blinders came off David. It's like the blinders came off of him. And last week we discussed that David was able to see this King Saul as God's anointed, as one created in God's image, and he could not do harm to that. And it's like he realized that this Nabal, the fool and the beast that he is, is still created in the image of God. And David relents. Well, what's Nabal up to going on? Well, <laughs> Nabal's doing what any fool is doing. He's getting drunk. He's having a party. He's having a good old time. And he doesn't know that Abigail snuck off with some of the produce and some of the products to go see David. And Abigail is smart enough to know not to go approach him when he is drunk. The great woman theologian, Wilda Gaffney, says, you know, Abigail, like a lot of women throughout history, realizes you don't approach your husband when they're drunk because they, as the Bible says about Nabal, they're mean and surly, and the alcohol makes that tendency even stronger. So she lets him sleep it off. Next morning, goes to see him and tells what she has done to save his life and to save his farm. And he grows furious. Text says his heart is stricken, but 
some commentaries put it this way. He got so mad that his wife snuck around and did this behind his back that he had a stroke. And we know that anger can bring on strokes. And he lays incapacitated for 10 days and dies. David hears about this. And he says, Abigail, she's mighty pretty. She's mighty rich. What's the problem? <laughs> and she goes, he goes and gets down on one knee. Scripture didn't say that, but we can imagine. You know, that David had to be, he had a God's own heart. So he, he bowed down before Abigail and proposes. And she says, I'd be a fool to re resist this offer. And so David marries a beautiful, now wealthy woman. And they have a child together, Chilo, the second child of David, who some call Daniel, not the Daniel that you might be thinking about that's famous in the Bible. But, and in best format, we can say for them, they ride off into the sunset to best as happily ever after as David can have. Because, again, we're going to talk in future messages about, well, some of the bad stuff that occurs. Yeah, what a story. Happened several thousand years ago. What's that have to do with us here in 21st century America here in Boone, North Carolina, or wherever you're watching from online? What's that have to do with us? I mean, it's a long time ago. It's dealing with different norms, different values, you know, with, with sheep and produce and people strapping on swords. What's that got to do with us? Well, maybe a few things. You know, first of all, we, we can learn from Abigail that even when we, like Micah describes, that our enemies are within our own family, or they might be in our own workplace, or maybe even in our own church. How do we live gracefully in the midst of all that? Also, we learn how we should control our temper and, and see how maybe we have somebody who can have in our lives that can help slow us down and to think and not to react so quickly. Yeah, Abigail's name means source of joy. I like that, don't you? A, a source, source of joy. How could she be a source of joy in the midst of living with this mean and surly man, this beast of a man, this fool named Nabal? How could, how could she do that? And, you know, maybe the fairy tales give us a hint at that. You remember Cinderella? She would see the mice and see the animals and talk to them. We, Snow White would sing to the birds. Belle, she treated everybody kindly and graciously. Doesn't matter that she's living with a beast. I mean, she was, they were all able to see in the midst of the hardship that they were all living in that there's beauty in this world. Remember last week we talked about David there in the bleakness of the Judean countryside. If you, if you all have ever been to Israel or when you get to go to Israel, when you go down near the Dead Sea, and I lived in the deserts of California, the Dead Sea area makes the deserts of California seem like a rainforest. I mean, it is bleak. And yet even there, David, where we think he wrote many of the songs, the heavens are telling the glory of the Lord. The earth tells of his handiwork. No, seeing the beauty that is around us in the hard times enables us to gain perspective. And remember uh, what I've said, I don't know if I've said it in this venue, that joy is not the absence of suffering, it's the presence of God. 
and how we make ourselves aware of the presence of God, even in the hard places, even when we're dealing with the, the navels in our lives and in our world, makes all the difference because it's, it affects our perspective. In a powerful book called Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl talks about his time in Auschwitz. Auschwitz. If there's ever a hell on earth, it was that place. And he tells about as they would march along, sometimes through the cracks in the concrete, they would see the flowers blooming. And all the inmates there in that hell hole would step over the flower and look at the flower. And they would make sure they didn't trample on the flower. Why is a sign and a symbol of God's beauty at work even there? The Lord is saying, look for the, my handiwork, no matter where you find yourself. And, of course, we live in one of the most beautiful places in all the earth here in Boone, North Carolina. So whenever we are caught up in the mess, the earth is declaring the glory of the Lord. The firmament describes his handiwork. But also this is that the words of Jesus help us when we're dealing with hard people. Jesus said this in Luke's gospel, six chapters said, pray for your enemies. Greet those who speak ill of you. Treat those who treat you illy with kindness and love. Why do we pray for our enemies? So that we can learn to love them. Learn to love them. It ain't easy, y'all. It's easy to pray for the people that are in our family that we love, that we care about. It's easy to pray for those folks that are nice for us. It's easy to pray for our friends. But praying for your enemies? Last week over there, I said, can you even see people that we disagree with mightily as created in the image of God? When you think about some of the things that are said, things that are in the world, people that are out there that you disagree with, you can say that. This person is created in the image of God, and I even gave this challenge. It's hard. Vladimir Putin was created in the image of God. As much evil as he's perpetrating in the world right now. Is there somebody in your life that it's difficult to deal with? Well, you better learn to pray for that person. You better learn to pray for that person. I, in my own life, I was... Serving at a church, and believe it or not, there were three, and I called them three Hanks, that they didn't like me. They disagreed with me. They worked to, to undermine me. One of these gals uh, tried to get a petition going to have me moved. And that stopped because she made a phone call to the wrong person, and this person said, you trying to mess with my preacher? She said, yeah, I think he needs to go. She, he said this, if you touch my preacher, I'm going to break your legs. And then he called me up and said, Head, you don't have to worry about a thing. The Methodist Mafia has gotten your back. So, I mean, I, 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 I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. But I, I mean, I could have harbored bitterness. And it was hard. It's hard, y'all. I heard about that, and I had to pray for that person so I could learn to love that person and so that the roots of bitterness and anger wouldn't seep into my heart because y'all, we can't hear the voice of the Lord if it's our hearts are filled with bitterness and anger. We can't hear the Lord's voice. And so, because Abigail was directed by God to calm down his anointed, we know that she was hearing the voice of the Lord. 
and therefore somehow, some way, she had not let anger at this husband that she's living with cause her to be separated from God. We don't know why she was there with him. I mean, it's um, a day and time, ladies, that women had little rights. I mean, the dad of the house could have, her dad could have said, you know what? Our old Nabal, he's a good match. Plus, he's rich. <laughs> or Nabal could have come along, as we know that Abigail's beautiful, and said, you know, Fred, you got a beautiful daughter. I, I, I'll give you all this money. Let me, let me have her. And she couldn't divorce him. Oh, she could, maybe. But it would lead to her being out on the streets, destitute. She couldn't escape, you see. And yet she learned to be, as her name describes, a source of joy. We learn in the story about David that we got to figure out what to do with our anger and how not to be so reactive. Remember what I said. As soon as he heard that Nabal had slighted him, he said, boys, put on your swords. We're going to go. Let, let us start, let's start fighting. Let, let, let's kill everybody. And how do we slow down and not be so reactive? We, we need people like an Abigail in our lives. We need somebody like that. When I was serving down in my home conference, they, bishops would bring in to speak at these annual conference other bishops because, well, you know, they don't get a lot of chance to speak. So they would, they'd come and preach and speak and talk a long time. The, the folks that are in the Methodist know, a long time Methodists know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's one time this bishop came in and he, he told this story. And some of y'all are not going to get any of this description I'm talking about. He got a letter. <laughs> a letter. You know, one with an envelope and a stamp. Some, yeah, he got an actual letter that someone had written to him, and it was very caustic. It had all sorts of mean stuff in it about something that he'd done, and he was furious. So he did something else that some of y'all may not have never heard of. He got his dictation machine, and he dictated a letter to this person for his secretary to type up for him to send off. Well, a few days later, he, um, he went by his secretary's desk, and he saw that the letter was there. And he gets a little mad and says, hey, I thought I told you to type that thing up and send it off. And, and this modern-day Abigail said this. You let that, you wrote that letter, said that letter in anger and in haste. You're reacting to something that someone had done to you. You weren't your best self there. And so read the letter again, and he said, you know, she's right. So he tore up that caustic letter, that reactive letter, wrote something else back to this person that had accused him of doing all these other things to begin a healing process between him, the bishop of that conference, and that person that was so mad at him about something that he had done. That's exactly what Abigail was for David. He was going to go and take his swords, take his men, and going to kill every male in Nabal's farm and destroy the place. He was going to commit murder and mayhem. And y'all, anger is a natural emotion. We all get angry. But as it says in the fourth chapter of Genesis where the story of Cain and Abel, the Lord approaches, approaches Cain who's so angry at his brother and said, Cain? Be angry, but do not sin. You must learn to master 
it. That's exactly what Abigail did for David. Helped him master his anger and his reactivity to this slight of what Nabal had done. Now, I doubt any of y'all have swords. Well, maybe you do. You've been to the Highland Games. But I doubt many of y'all will have a sword or take a gun to somebody. I don't don't believe anyone that's tuning in or here would do that. But, you know, we can cause lots of damage with our mouths, with what we write on emails or texts. David had an Abigail to keep him from reacting. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, do not murder. But then he goes on to say this. Do not be angry with your brother, for if you do, you are liable for judgment. Wow, that's strong stuff. In our day and time, we're, most everybody I'm talking to, tuning in, is not going to get out a sword or a gun, but how many people are we going to, well, with our voices or with our texts, destroy somebody with our words. That's why James says this. He said, it's so hard to tame the tongue. It's like a roaring lion and a devouring fire. The proverb says, he who can tame the tongue in its anger is stronger than one who conquers a city. story I told was from a different time where there was time to think, not to mail the letter. How many in our day and time gets, see something, get something, boom, immediate reaction on the email, boom, got our thumbs going, texting, tweeting. Maybe this day and time, James would see those who can curb their thumbs are like taming it. screens or near our phones, we ought to write Abigail to get us not to react so quickly to what we experience in our lives from others or from what we see in the world. Even when we post social media, quote anonymously, what damage does that cause someone else and damage their own spirit? And we need an Abigail, don't we? To slow us down. Oh, just think how different the world would be in this day and time if there was Abigail's standing in the way of those people that go out and take the lives of so many folks they do not know. What happens if someone, an Abigail, said to one of those shooters that was going to a place like Uvalde, Texas, or Dadeville, Alabama, or up in Philadelphia this past week, or down in Baltimore? Really? Really? You want to ruin all those lives? the loved ones of families ruin your own life really you want to do that once there's Abigail in the lives of over 40,000 people in our nation who take their lives once when Abigail stepped in some source of joy reminds a person you know you're beautiful you're created in the image of God you're wonderful school mate, Bob, an 
Abigail been there for her, would she still be there today? Or some church members and places I've served, Tristan and John, Alarm. And Abigail had been there. How the lives in this world are different. Who's been in Abigail for you? Slow you down. Help me not to react. Help me think. Help me to be your true self, your better self. Life's been that for me. Sometimes I can go on a rant and rave, and she say, "Well, think about that. Or is that person really that dumb? Or all those people really that silly? Or is that you, you know how we can do?" She gets me to help see that every person, no matter who they are, is beautiful, created in the image of God. But I, today I want to highlight my mom because of the own tragedy in our own life. You won't ever hear me preach on Mother's or Father's Day. It's not going to happen. But. I do want to talk about my mom because she's been a, an Abigail for me. When I was a kid, you know, and someone would do me wrong and I'd throw a temper tantrum, start wanting to go fight, and she said, Eddie, do you really want to go fight that boy? She would hug all the meanness out of me. Or when I would not act like I knew I should, and she would remind me of who I truly needed to be. And on the night when my dad was in a serious car accident at the fall of somebody else, her tears, she grabbed me and she said, don't let the anger to that person that causes ruin destroy you or your faith. My mom's an Abigail for me. But you need to tell, to thank, for someone to help you be a better person, to treat your true self. I yeah, wish I could tell my mom that and she understands. She's in an assisted living and nursing and a memory care unit in Troy, Alabama. I'm going to write her and my sister, my sister will read her. She won't get it. So, who do you need to tell? To write a note, make a call, send a text. Thank you for making me a better person by being in my life. Who do you need to tell? That? Don't wait. from when I was growing up, there was a commercial by a football coach who I didn't like. He wore a houndstooth hat and had a crimson A uh, usually on him. And it was for Central Bell, Southern Bell. War Eagle. And, and, and old Paul, Coach Paul Bear Bryant would do the commercial. And at the end of the commercial, always around Mother's Day, he, said, he would say this. Call your mama. I wish I could. Call somebody. Don't wait. Let them know that they have been a person that has made you the person that you are, God's calling you to be. And as you do that for some Abigail in your life, who knows? Maybe God is calling you to be an Abigail or somebody else. The source someone else be who God is calling them to be. Maybe you are an Abigail. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the Abigails in our lives, the people who have enabled us to be our better selves, who enabled us not to react so quickly when reaction is something that's so natural. 
to help us to see others as you see them. Enable us, God, not to be so defensive, but to be more loving and caring, to root out any bitterness within us. And Lord, we, so we thank you for those people in our lives and in this world. And Lord, we know that we may be called at this very moment to be an Abigail for somebody else, to help somebody climb off that ladder, to put away the anger, the bitterness, maybe some, maybe by what we say or who we are, we save somebody's life. So Lord, help us, your people, gathered here in this space of our lives, find ways to be sources of joy to those around us, just like Abigail. Help us go out and live faithfully.